Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to another edition of the programme. We've got John Paul and Sadie both taking your calls today. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 And you can text her on WhatsApp as well to 086 And when we were on air yesterday, that really positive news about light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel started to break through with the news that there is a vaccine. We are very close to a vaccine seen arriving and the really good news because as soon as I started talking about it yesterday people were saying oh will we be guaranteed any of that vaccine here in Ireland and all of the newspapers today are picking up that we will get a supply of the uh, vaccines and this vaccine is seen as a real game changer. The European Commission is finalising a deal with Pfizer and BioNTech who are the makers of the vaccine and that's they're the ones who will pave the way for member states including Ireland to purchase batch batches of it once this vaccine gets the green light. Now the vaccine that they're talking about will may offer 90% protection to people from COVID-19 I'll take those odds. The stock markets obviously immediately started to surge on the news about the vaccine shares reaching all time highs and the hope is of course that this vaccine, this worldwide vaccine will lead to a rapid economic recovery in Ireland and in much of Europe. This was interesting tourism and travel stock saw the biggest gains while the shares for what are seen as the lockdown favourites, things like video conferencing service Zoom and the online retailer ASOS they all suffered big drops yesterday when there was the news that we were very close to a vaccine going live. Pfizer, they say they have 50 million injections of the two-dose vaccine. They already have that ready to go and they'll have that out once they get the go-ahead by the end of this year. And then they say that they will produce 1.3 billion more injections next year. Now, Pfizer will submit data on the phase three trials to the regulators in the EU and the US before the end of the month. And that's what the scientists are waiting for. They need to see the scientific evidence of it. Questions still remain over how it will work on various age groups. And also, I think the big question that I heard from a lot of scientists yesterday is how long will it be effective? Will it be a little bit like 
the flu vaccine the, because the strain of flu mutates every year. Will coronavirus, will that start to mutate every year? People are already worried what's happening with the mink and the fact that it's mutated into the mink population and then going back into humans. So saying if that's the case, will it be the way we get a flu vaccine jab every year? Will we be heading out every year? Will it become part of our vocabulary with people saying, have you, have you had your COVID vaccine for this year will we end up doing it it's too early yet to say will this give lifelong immunity or how much immunity will it actually give the Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Hulam said that while the vaccine generated hope it was still not time for celebration he still said the full data needed to be examined and I think a lot of the doctors and a lot of the scientists while behind the scenes are saying yes this is a really really good news story but they're not popping the champagne corks uh, yet so looking at the there's about 12 vaccines worldwide that are close but five of them are really very close. The Pfizer one now is the first out of the blocks and how the Pfizer one will work is they inject a genetic code into a fat droplet to instruct the body to make the coronavirus spike protein so that the body then can recognise it and then as with all vaccines it goes on to fight it if you end up then being exposed to coronavirus. The Moderna vaccine that works in the very same way as the Pfizer vaccine early evidence from them are showing it is safe. Their results are expected later this month. They're probably kicking themselves that Pfizer got in there ahead of them. Then there's the Oxford University vaccine which was the one that was probably the first that the world was talking about and the ones that certainly in the early days was showing the most promise. Now their vaccine works differently. They use a deactivated chimpanzee cold virus and that triggers cells to produce the coronavirus spike protein and results are also hoped from the Oxford University later on this month. Janssen then, they're working like the Oxford vaccine, they're doing it the same way except they're using the common cold virus. They're saying their vaccine would be available early next year and then there's another one that's quite close and that is the Novavax they, their vaccine contains a synthetic copy of the COVID spike protein and an immune booster. And they're saying that they will be ready by mid-21. So they're kind of the top five players in the field of vaccine. But in total, there seems to be about 12 uh, out there. And they are the Pfizer, certainly the Pfizer BioNTech are saying that they are hoping that the vaccine will be available by uh, Christmas. They've confirmed that they have these 50 million doses will be available globally by the end of the year. But the 50 million doses, that means 25 million people can be vaccinated because you have to have two vaccines, uh, two injections. And then, as I mentioned, Pfizer say 1.3 billion they'll have produced by uh, next year because there will be a huge amount of work uh, going uh, going in. And then who'll get it first when we do get available when we when we in this country when the HSE gets its hands on an available stock of the vaccine. They're saying care home residents are likely to be the first and the staff they'll be the first in line. That'll be followed by the medical staff, it'll be followed by the elderly and those with uh, serious conditions. So the most 
the most vulnerable and those that we most need to be to protect will be first but certainly it's a good news story and we're going to hang on to that bit of a good news story and hope that they get all that when they you know when they release all of the scientific documentation at the end of the month that all of the scientists will then start to celebrate and say yes this is the way to go this really is good news because here in this country wouldn't it be great if some of the vaccine was available before Christmas and what difference would that make to uh, Christmas and decisions on whether or not retailers restaurants and pubs will be able to reopen in time for Christmas and when will they be reopened it seems that is going to go down to the wire and there will be a wait until the end of this month before anybody knows if Neffet and the government are going to lift the green light to tell all of the shopkeepers you can open up your front doors to tell the pubs and the clubs take up your shutters you're allowed a little bit of Christmas trading the Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan has ruled out giving early advice to the government during the lockdown despite more encouraging news yesterday that the very severe restrictions we're living under at the moment they are working daily number yesterday I actually nearly danced around the kitchen when I heard it uh, 270 cases yesterday and that's a huge fall from where it had been in recent weeks. There sadly was one more additional death. Tony Houlihan said the six week lockdown will continue and he says what happens after the 1st of December will depend on where we are at the 1st of December. So he's not jumping the gun. We're still on the 10th of November. There's at least another almost three weeks to go Uh, before he's going to say and there should be if we continue the way we're going it should be even a better picture in three weeks time Tony Houlihan indicated that measures that will be in place after early December and the public will still have to maintain a very high standard of public health practice he said there will be specific advice to the public around Christmas but he's holding off on when he's going to be giving that specific advice so far there has been outbreaks associated with funerals and he's says that's compounding the grief and the distress of mourners uh, with illness on top of it and of course funerals and the small number of weddings that are going ahead that's at the moment the only kind of groups of 25 people that we have have at the moment and I suppose he's worried if we're now seeing outbreaks associated with funerals he's worried that if he starts to open up the country and allow people to gather in groups of 25 and more will we then end up seeing more outbreaks and then will the figures start to go back up again and will we be back with another lockdown after uh, Christmas there are also cases happening in healthcare settings he said and the advice is that if people have any kind of potential symptoms they should not go to work. He also says, and I think this is interesting coming from Tony Hoolan, he said there is, in, there is nothing inevitable about a third wave of the virus here that we shouldn't be almost already starting to look at. Oh, we'll all have a great Christmas and then there'll be a third wave and we'll all be back into lockdown uh, again. And the cases yesterday, as I say, 270, one of the lowest we've seen in a number of weeks and breaking it down for us here in Cork, 12 cases. Again, one of the lowest number of cases for Cork in quite some time. And even in Dublin, the numbers seem to be coming down. The numbers yesterday for Dublin were 103. Looking at the age uh, profile, 69% uh, under the age of uh, 45. Also a fall in the number of people in hospital. The figures in hospital yesterday stood at 290 patients and 39 people remain in intensive care. Again, those 
those numbers are falling all the time. And then Ireland now, when you look across all of the other European countries, bearing in mind that some of the European countries, they're almost like basket cases when it comes to the amount of COVID-19. The numbers are really going through the roof and no sign of them falling. We are now 28th out of 31 countries for the 14-day incident of COVID-19. So we are doing really well. We're at the bottom end of the list of European countries and that's one of those leagues we want to be, if not on the bottom, as close to the bottom as possible. So there's lots of reasons and lots of good news in the paper for us to take hope out of what we're doing and where we're actually going. 1850 and a text in from John in Mill Street to say, Morning Patricia, I'm asking this for a friend of mine, please. It's about the five kilometre rule and how during level five for this six weeks, we are told that we're not to go anywhere outside of five kilometres of our house. John said a friend of his has had a few calls yesterday to decorate windows for Christmas in shops both in Mallow and Canturk which obviously would take this gentleman outside his five kilometre zone. The reason I'm contacting you is would, will he be okay to travel uh, or is he in danger of being stopped by the Gardaí and he would be turned back thanking you says John in Mill Street. Okay the five kilometre rule is in place for things like exercising and getting out and about. You can go outside your five kilometre rule for a variety of different reasons and one of them is to go to work John. So if your friend was stopped by the Gardaí and asked where are you going sir? He could say I'm going off to do a job blah 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 explain where the job is maybe bring some evidence with him maybe bring a text message to show where the job is or if he had a letter from the person to say that he was going to decorate the window so no you're allowed to go outside your five kilometres if you're going to work or you know if you're going for a medical appointment you can also travel outside your five kilometre if you need to go to to the shops if you need you know if you need to do something uh, essential so your friend will be fine but well done for him for even checking up and just to make absolutely sure that he is okay but obviously when he goes to the shops for the work that he has to do hand sanitising social distancing and the all important wearing of the mask some of you of your texts in about the vaccine Joe from Dunmanway says vaccine no thanks I won't be first in line for it I'm not having either another humans or chimps DNA in my body thank you anyway they'll, they'll no doubt charge us taxpayers a fortune to have it so I'll keep myself away from people and keep taking my vitamins, vitamins and exercising says Joe in Dunmanway well nobody will be forced Joe uh, to take a vaccine it's as with every other vaccine it will be an individual choice I know to get herd immunity they will need 80% of people to take the vaccine. That's how we eradicated TB in this country because 80% either got TB at the time or got the vaccine and uh, we've eradicated TB. But you're well within your rights, Joe. If you don't want to to take the vaccine, certainly nobody will force you to do it. Thank you for your text. Michael says, how are you doing? Listening to you about the potential vaccine for COVID-19, which is fantastic news indeed. Hopefully it'll all work out. I have a small bit of scepticism though in that the HSC this year have completely messed up the distribution of the annual flu vaccine. It's become a joke at this stage. So where does that leave the ability to deliver this potential vaccine to be sourced and delivered? Not to mention the fact that you have to get two doses of it. I hope I'm wrong on this, says Michael, but I think it could be a potential nightmare. Fingers crossed and all of that. 
says uh, Michael. In the defence of the HSE, they ordered the vaccines and ordered enough flu vaccines. But the problem was, so did every other country, particularly all the other countries in the Northern Hemisphere. And then there became a delay in distributing it. And I suppose the makers of the vaccine trying to make enough vaccine. They had no way of knowing how much each country was going to order. I know the HSE ordered more than what they got last year and they always have they always order you know so many million vaccines every year and they always end up with too much and then they're out of date I think by the end of January most of the flu vaccines so they have to get them to people and get them distributed so in their defence they're they're trying to get their hands on it it is a distribution issue and it isn't just here in Ireland there seems to be a distribution issue with the flu vaccine all over the Northern Hemisphere every country is screaming for it I mean will there be logistics involved with the COVID vaccine absolutely and how many they will get it'll be probably the very same as it is this year with the flu vaccine each doctor pharmacy however they're going to distribute it will get so many of them and then they're going to have to they're already talking about prioritising it as I mentioned uh, you know they're looking at care home residents and the staff will be the first in line along with the medical staff all your doctors and your and your nurses the elderly and anyone that have, has very serious health conditions like things like anyone with any kind of a lung condition like COPD which by the way if you do suffer from COPD or somebody in the household with COPD we're going to be featuring that on the programme today and giving advice from an expert for people on how to live well with COPD during this pandemic while we await a uh, vaccine. So we can just keep our fingers crossed, Michael, that there will be enough vaccine available and then that they'll be able to uh, distribute it. But you are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel your concerns and you probably are right to have those concerns. Thank you for your text. And Liz, this is on Christmas and people waiting to see when an effort going to lift the restrictions? What kind of a Christmas are we going to have? Are we all going to go mad this Christmas? And if we all go mad and we all go out socialising, will we end up then with another lockdown and even worse figures than what we had on the second wave? Liz makes an interesting point. She said everyone had and was encouraged to have a good time this summer. And we were encouraged where we couldn't go overseas. We were encouraged to staycation and people got out and about and people moved around the country. And because of that, says Liz, look, Look at where we're at now. We ended up having a second wave because people went out and socialised. Liz, Liz, Liz's message this morning is stay at home, have an old-fashioned Christmas just with those that you already live with. That's the way to go. And you will be with Professor Anthony Staines, Liz, who I mentioned yesterday, who is kind of advocating the very same thing, that we don't have a big mad Christmas this year, that we just socialise with those that are in our own household, have a nice, quiet, as Liz says, an old-fashioned Christmas that you have it just with your your nearest and dearest. And if we did that, and if we remained almost with the restrictions that are in place at the moment, and then we continued to go through all of December and all of January we'd come out of it on the other side in February and we could have we could be back at somewhere of normal living a normal life a little bit like what's happening in, in New Zealand and Australia 1850 we've got Sadie and John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 With Level 5 restrictions now in place it's more important than ever to keep it local That's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally Whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect A thriving local economy is good for everyone You'll save time and support local jobs 
supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. A study from University College Cork has proposed tough new measures to protect the health of future generations because Ireland is falling behind other European countries in the battle against obesity. The study was conducted by Dr Janice Harrington of UCC who joins me. Good morning to you Janice. Good morning Patricia. You're, you're welcome. Is it the rise in childhood obesity that concerns you the most? It's not the rise in childhood obesity because we have seen um, evidence that the obesity levels are starting to level off in children, but they're leveling off at the moment at quite a high rate. Um, so we still have we have one in five children uh, are living with you know avoid obesity. So while it, it's good news in that the, the figures do seem to be, appear to be leveling, um, it's still quite high. So I suppose what we're proposing is that, you know, we need, you know, from the support is that we need to take a, a broader look at our environment, uh, the environment around us, you know, the types of foods that are available to us, the types of foods that we're constantly being bombarded by and how can we make our our environment healthier and the foods that are available healthier and how can we, I suppose, limit the exposure, particularly to children, exposure uh, of uh, to foods that are you know high in fat high in sugars high in salt and you know with very little nutritious uh, value and and the evidence is clearly there isn't it that if you're obese as a child you're more than likely going to grow into an obese adult well for children living with obesity there is they're at higher risk of being an adult uh, living with obesity. Um, so we do want, in terms of trying to um, you know, improve our environments, improve our food environments, so our food environments are everywhere we um, are exposed to food or everywhere we experience food, from our homes to the supermarkets to going down the street and seeing uh, ads and billboards and uh, advertising, for example. So what we want to do is to reduce the, that level of exposure and to, I suppose, to encourage healthier uh, habits from a younger age. Um, so we know habits that we develop in childhood uh, track through to our adulthood and um, Good, good habits are, are bad. bad yeah. yeah. And I know I think a lot of the media picked up on the, the headline of the, the no fry zones, yeah. uh, which is something that, ex- explain that and, and you want it around all schools. Yeah, so um, this is uh, an area, so it's looking at zoning uh, around schools, again with the idea of limiting the exposure uh, to children for these uh, food outlets and um, so, you know, we know particularly as well for secondary schools, if um, there are fast food outlets near secondary schools, for example, there's a higher likelihood that the children, if they're allowed out at lunchtime, will purchase food, you know, in in those type in the, the, the chipper or, you know, or after schools. And work earlier on this year from the Cork Food Policy Council um, where they mapped out uh, all of the food retail outlets in the city um, 
and looked at where schools were positioned and we saw that there was one in three primary schools and one in two secondary schools were within 400 metres of a fast food outlet. Well, well, and if you go to any of those fast food outlets at lunchtime, there will be a queue of pupils in their school uniforms, guaranteed. Likely, if you know, if depending on the school and the school policies in terms of being allowed out, out of the school at lunchtime, I know some schools don't allow children out, but the likelihood is yes, yeah. it will be if you know if children are allowed out, uh, out there after school. And what about tuck shops inside in, in schools? Are, are they do, do they sell what you know what we'd call rubbish food? Do we need yeah. to look at those? Yeah, I think so. And and this isn't about limiting choice. It's about providing more choice to, to the the pupils in the school. So it's about looking at, you know, what's available in the tuck shop and, you know, are there healthy alternatives or healthier alternatives to what's being sold? Because, um, you know, oftentimes they're, you know, it's, as you say, it's kind of rugby food. And, and, you know, it's, it's it's the treats, it's the sweets, it's the busy yeah. that you know many of us like. Um, but I suppose it's about like looking at and providing supports to schools. And um, there are so, there is some good work going on um, within schools, and you know we do have nutrition standards for school meals, and uh, where meals or uh, lunches are provided uh, in schools. But I suppose it's looking at the full school environment and not just for where lunches are provided. Yeah, and I think primary schools have done great, great work in encouraging children, you know, to only have the healthy items in their lunchbox. And I know we'd often on this programme have heard from parents saying that their child did really well in primary school and, you know, they wouldn't dare bring any rubbish food into the lunchbox because they wouldn't want to disappoint a teacher. But then when they went to secondary school, that kind of went out the door. They were allowed to bring what they liked in in some secondary schools. Yeah, in some, and you know, some schools are doing great and, you know, schools have their own nutrition policies many schools have nutrition policies in school I suppose it's that little bit harder at secondary school level and where you know the children or pupils have a little bit more autonomy but you know I do think you know in terms of and something like this where if there were guidelines um, on top of you know the current guidelines that exist in relation to the standards for school meals but if there were additional guidelines or supports for schools to encourage um, you know, the, these types of policies are encouraged uh, this, uh, I suppose, creating this norm within the schools. And I think that would be very welcome. Are you in favour of taxing on healthy foods? Like, for example, the sugar tax? I think the sugar tax, yeah. I think it's, um, so I suppose that has two, um, you know, kind of, there's two angles to looking at the sugar tax. So it's it, what it has done is, you know, in the run-up to when it was implemented or brought in, that it had forced our, many of the manufacturers to reduce the sugar content in food, which is a good thing. Um, but also, I suppose, you know, with the tax, I mean, these, the, these uh, drinks are, you know, they're, we all have a, a, a fizzy on occasion, but it's to reduce, it's to encourage the re- consumption of of these uh, you know higher sugar products but I think one of the positives is that you know the manufacturers have reduced 
the sugar levels in many of in many of the drinks, and mm. you know, people didn't notice. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's everything in moderation, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. the that that that's the the key. But I know only last week we ran an interview with uh, the group Feed Cork. You know, they were talking about food poverty and putting together these nutritious family baskets, hampers to keep mm. families going. I mean, is there a direct link between obesity and poverty? There is, uh, unfortunately. So we see in areas where there is higher income inequality and higher areas of deprivation that, you know, there's, and, you know, it's it's for a number of reasons, you know. And so we see that uh, the more disadvantaged groups in society are the groups where there are higher levels um, of people living with obesity. And this is, you know, I suppose that's linked with higher levels of um you know, higher risk for other diseases as well. Um, so, unfortunately, we do see that inequality both within the city, but and the country, and and you know, between countries as well. Yeah, and during the pandemic, uh, and we're in lockdown now again. Do we all need to watch our weight? I mean, we're constantly hearing of people in a very jokey way saying, "Oh, I've put on the COVID stone." <laughs> people have put on weight. Yeah, like we do have, you know, we do have a certain amount of individual responsibility yeah. as well. But I think from a societal, broader societal point of view, we need to stop blaming the individual mm. and, you know, stop blaming the parents. or And, and we need to look at measures that will will benefit everybody, you know, not just those who are interested or have the motivation to be self-disciplined, for example. So we need to look at measures that will, um, you know, benefit all across from the most vulnerable, um, you know, to to our children, to our to our older older adults as well. So okay. I think right. it's it's time to stop blaming the absolutely, absolutely. Uh, listen, Janice, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program this morning. Okay. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dr. Janice Harrington there, uh, who is with UCC on her, uh, their latest study. There was a sharp increase in the number of women and children seeking support from domestic violent services during the first six months of the COVID-19 pandemic. New figures show uh, an average of almost 2,000 women and 411 children were in receipt of some kind of support from domestic violence services in the Cork West Division. The reported cases of domestic violence were up 28%, which is the highest increase across the county. Maria Mulholland of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Maria. Good morning, Tracia. Um, nice to speak to you Well, again. always great to speak to you. I take it these figures come no surprise to you. Are you seeing an increase in calls to your service? Oh yeah, I mean the 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 data that you that has been released today. It's important to explain where this came from. This is uh, uh, there's an overarching body that represents all the domestic violence services. Uh, it's our representative body called Safe Ireland. So throughout the lockdown and the COVID restrictions for those six months, we were all putting in all of the domestic violence services, of which there are 33 throughout the country. We're giving weekly stats on uh, to look at. Uh, what increases there have been week on week during COVID, and so this is the the accumulation of all of that all of that data that you're now seeing over that six month period from March to August. So here in, I mean, so we were putting in our data at Westcourt Women Against Violence, and we had a 35 percent increase in the number of calls that we were getting. 
we had um, an additional 108 women looking for help during that six months. And when I say additional, that was on top of the 203 women we were already working with before the lockdown came. So though over that six-month period, we were working with over 300 women, but 108 of them were women that got in touch during COVID. And, and what sh- was it about yeah. COVID that made them pick up the phone to call you? Um... God, they were locked in with their abusers and there was no way out. It's as simple as that, Patricia. Um, the, uh, I suppose that what we need to understand is uh, the first month of lockdown was very eerie for us. Uh, and that's the only way I can describe it. Our phones did not ring. And that has never happened. And so it was really strange. And my staff and I were talking, saying, what is wrong? What is wrong out there? But we also discovered it was happening with other DV services. And because lockdown came as such a shock to everybody's system, you know, you know, no matter how you, you know, no matter how much you tried to prepare for it, it was going to be very, very abnormal and very different. So for the first month, Nobody was contacting us because there were two reasons that we discovered for that. One is women didn't think there was any option except to be locked in because it was so complete, the lockdown. Uh, and, and secondly, they didn't know we were still here, that we were still operating the service because we had to find ways to operate a service during lockdown. Normally we would have a drop-in service, we would meet clients, um, we couldn't do any of that. And also we had to protect ourselves as staff as well against COVID. So we went of phones we stopped using the office some some of the support workers worked from their homes um on mobiles and on laptops and zoom and so it it was a case of not knowing if there was a service and secondly not knowing there was any options like how would you escape during lockdown so it was about trying to find solutions to that but the first thing was to promote and to publicize the fact that the domestic violence services all of us were still here we hadn't gone away we were still going to be here for women and you probably remember there was the big national advertising campaign on the tv that was part of it um and did that work it did. It yeah. definitely worked. It and with the and the figures that we're talking about uh, this morning, Maria, they are just the reported cases. The actual oh God, figure yes. is much higher. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at nationally at three and a half thousand women uh, and six hundred children who had never contacted a domestic violence service before COVID. Um, so if you think about that, these were women that as far as we know, as all of our records show, they'd never been in touch with a domestic violence service before. But it got so bad during COVID that they picked up the phone or they made some kind of attempt to make contact with a domestic violence service. And that tells you something about that invisible uh, uh, women, that invisible group of women that are out there who were so terrified that they finally did make contact but have probably been living with it for a very long time yeah yeah I mean and when a woman does reach out for help uh, Maria what supports are available well during during Covid I tell you we uh, talk about having to be innovative (laughs) um uh, we we had to come up with some new ways of dealing with things, but I really, really want to use this opportunity to say thanks to two different initiatives. One is Operation Fuisive, which the Angarda Shikana did nationally, um, where they were actually calling to places where they had been uh, they had the previous domestic violence callouts, and maybe where the 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 victim there had never contacted domestic violence service, but every time they got a callout or they went back to houses where they had previously had callouts you know, before COVID, they would 
provide them with the local domestic violence service number brilliant. and encourage brilliant. them to call. That was brilliant. But also, they were working with domestic violence services to get the women out. The women who were at high risk that needed to get them and their children that had to get out. And so they were transporting women to other uh, emergency accommodation and they were working with us to do that. The other initiative, uh, it's not an initiative, it's not a service and it is a blessing to West Cork is the Protective Services Unit and we work really closely with them here. Um, so we had to come up with protocols that we we um, developed with the Protective Service Unit about what to do to get a woman f- out of uh, danger A to rescue to an emergency accommodation B and how to do her best to do that, but also things like um, that we would normally have done because we would usually you know we would usually accompany the, the guards um, and of course we couldn't do that anymore. So we made a list of of priorities that they needed to look for. So for instance, we know that when we go to get somebody out of a house, that they need certain necessities. Take all your paperwork with you that you need, like the kids' birth certificates, um, bring things like, don't forget your medication or the children's medication. Make sure you've got changes of underwear for everybody. Um, uh, special toys, you know, the kids yeah. have a toy, something that will keep them comforted. You know, all of those little things. And, and you know, guards go in and they do what they have to do, and but they wouldn't necessarily think of those things. So we made a list of everything that they should make sure that the woman and her children had before they, they, they got her out of the house because those are the little things that are going to help that transition. Um, so, you know, and, and and we worked with them and it was it went really well, I have to say. Um, they they were on the ball every day. They were talking to us every day and it was, it was a brilliant initiative and it was a really good example of collaboration between our service and the guards. And we're, we're now in another lockdown and we've got this five kilometre uh, rule and it's important to point out that any woman or man suffering at the hands of domestic violence can travel beyond that five kilometre rule to get help or to escape. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and even when the, 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 uh, the restrictions were, were tighter during lockdown in terms of where, how far you could travel, um, certainly if it's a necessity and it's about um, uh, escaping risk, you certainly can do that. Um, what we did, uh, and I have another, actually, some more thanks to give, Patricia, which was during the lockdown, we had numerous uh, calls from people who had holiday cottages, who had uh, B&Bs that weren't being used, obviously, because nobody could travel, to say, look, we're offering this accommodation if you need it for any of your clients who are... Uh, uh, In need. Are and, did, and did you use them? Oh, we did. We yeah. did. Absolutely, we did. And is, is that always an issue, trying to find that emergency accommodation? It's it's hell on wheels, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> And I just, I can just, you know, and you, so a woman, it's, it's, they've got to be so brave to pick up the phone to say, I need help. And then for you guys to go, where are we going to put you? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, but you know what? Nightmare. We will always find somewhere. I know. We, I know. We've done it so often now and we, we, we'll always find somewhere. Sometimes you think, oh God, where can we go to? But then, you know, and we always have a team kind of like bringing each storm about it and we'll find something. What was difficult about, uh, Lockdown obviously was that you know your B and B's were closed, your your hotels, hotels were closed, yeah, yeah. yeah, hotels particularly. But then you may remember the initiative that also came nationally, which was uh, Airbnb. 
um, and they provided hotel rooms. They were and great. They were in the city. That yeah. was the problem. It was a certain chain of hotels that were available in most of the major cities, um, and they were paying for nights in that hotel for um, anyone escaping domestic violence who was referred by uh, a bona fide DV service. Okay, and your helplines are all up and running as we speak. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yep, and the team are here. I, I want to say one thing more, just Patricia. It, this, yeah. this COVID, these stats are really quite frightening. Yeah. And I want people to know that we were dealing with that as DV services on, on top of everything else. And we have not had investment in domestic violence infrastructure in this country for years. And we now know that we need at least 7 million nationally to, to, to invest in domestic violence services. That's just to get us up where we can deal with this on a more practical and effective level. Okay. You know, we really need that to happen. I'm, I'm way over on time. Um, I, I, I need to take a break to go to news at 11. But when I come back, I, I will give out the various telephone numbers uh, for anybody in need of help. But Maria, you guys and gals are doing the most amazing work. Continue uh, to do it. We'll speak again. And in the meantime, stay safe. Thanks very Thanks much. Thanks a million. Maria Mulholland, bye-bye, of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. So, you've got a smartphone or tablet. Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. On your phone. Tablet. Smart speaker. And radio. We are C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Kitty listening to Maria Mulholland talking about domestic violence and how the incident of domestic violence during the first six months of the pandemic, uh, the incident of reported cases rose all over the country, but in particularly in West Cork. Kitty said, so sad to hear Maria say that during the initial lockdown, the phones simply did not ring when it was very evident that domestic violence was going on. I know many people felt that when things were closed, that everything had closed down, but of course that wasn't uh, the case. And for many people, it might have been their first time ever in this. Uh, situation and certainly it was the first time for many to pick up the phone and to say I can't live like this anymore I need help and I'm very conscious and aware when we run interviews like that with uh, Maria that there are people listening to us who are victims of domestic violence and we encourage each and every one of you to please reach out there is help available even if you just pick up the phone and ring to talk to somebody even just for the first time just to talk to somebody about it and talk through the options that are available to you and in West Cork the West West Cork uh, Women's Project where Maria joined us from this morning. They have a free phone helpline 1800 203 136 1800 203136 In North Cork, Yana, the group You Are Not Alone. They operate from 022 53915 and of course Women's Aid they also have a free phone national number which is 1800 341 900 1800 341 900 and somebody has also pointed out and I did mention it uh, Neil and Clannacilty thank you Neil I did mention it when I was speaking with Maria while we were talking while Maria was talking about women and domestic uh, violence men also suffer at the hands of women when it comes to uh, domestic violence. And Neil Inclan says, please don't forget that men can also be the victims of domestic violence. MM offers support for male victims. They do. They're a wonderful organisation and you can contact uh, MM either through their website www.amen.ie and they also have a helpline number. It's 046 they're based in Navin 046 902 3718 046 902 3718 and I know I've noticed actually on the 
there's ads running at the moment, domestic violence ads and, you know, encouraging people and telling people that there is help available. And actually one of the ads is specifically aimed at victims of male domestic uh, violence as well. So very aware that while more women will suffer from domestic violence, there, are, there is also a percentage of men will suffer as well. So glad to give that a mention. But I did, uh, Neil, mention it during my interview with uh, Maria. 1850 OK, some of your texts and calls are coming in. I have to say this one made me smile and I'm going to read it out. Um, now, it's a fun piece and uh, we give apologies in advance to any of our Kerry fans, our Kerry listeners. And I know we have a number of Kerry listeners, but somebody sent this on saying it's not my own piece, but it's well worth sharing. And it is a joke proposing to be a message from uh, Neffet, a notice from Neffet saying, until next Sunday, anyone from Cork City and County is allowed one visit for 10 hours only to the Kingdom of Kerry. Dr Tony Houlihan indicated it would be of significant benefit to the mental health of Cork people to allow them the opportunity to milk their Munster semi-final win for all it's worth and a visit to Kerry would facilitate this. Likewise, it would not be of benefit to the mental health of the good people of Kerry to have Cork people staying overnight. So Hence, the visits are limited to 10 hours only. Nevitt have coined a new name for this decision. It's the Mark Keane slash Tyke Murphy dispensation. <laughs> that, made me, that made me smile. And, and to say apologies to any of our Kerry fan, Kerry listeners who I know are still suffering at the moment. 1850-333-103. Now, I was talking about the vaccine uh, and we're all taking great hope that a vaccine is going to be here with us sooner rather than later for COVID-19. But of course, people are worried with what's going on with mink farms in Denmark. And there's the big culling of the mink uh, going on over there because of this mutant strain. And I know GPs all over the country here have been put on alert for possible cases of this new, stri- new strain with particular caution being exercised in relation to anybody travelling from Denmark which has had the biggest outbreak that's where the biggest outbreak has occurred and anyone coming from, from Denmark has been told they need to limit their movements and self-isolate and GPs and now we're going to be asking people who present and contact them with any COVID-19 symptoms have they been in Denmark or have they been near anyone who's come back from Denmark but it's brought up the whole issue of mink farming yet again. And when I was looking at Denmark, I didn't realise that Denmark has the highest number of mink farms in the world. And something like 15 million animals are to be destroyed in uh, Denmark. And now we've been told that tests on mink in Irish firm farms firm fur farms are expected to be revealed by the end of the week whether any of the animals here in this country are carrying the mutant form of coronavirus. Well that's caused uh, some people to contact us including Mary says hi Patricia hope you and yours are well we are indeed. Congratulations on your 30 years of broadcasting. Many thanks Mary. We're looking forward to uh, Friday. Just a comment I did not realise says Mary that we had mink farms here in this country. I thought that the fashion industry stopped using real fur. I do remember in the 80s that a lot of mink were released from farms here in Ireland and they still can be seen in the countryside to this day says Mary. I don't know if they were released or not. I read a report that some of them escaped and because of that the National Parks and Wildlife Services say there's about 35,000 wild mink living uh, here and they were escapees from the original mink farms but according to Mary some of them were released and of course 
because they're not native to this country, but they're obviously doing quite well if there's 35,000 of them here at the moment. But they are causing huge problems because they're preying on native small mammals and ground nesting birds, as well as obviously raiding if you've got a poultry stocks. Anyone would have lost hens and chickens to a mink, to wild mink in their area. But a lot of people are shocked to hear that we even have a mink in this country, including Steph, who emails Patricia at c103.ie and said Ireland has approved the ban on fur farming in July of 2019 and that existing mink farms are to be phased out. So why do we still have thousands of these precious animals in cages here in this country? The COVID-19 has gripped the whole world and all of us should take plenty of time to reevaluate our human relationships, to take a good look at nature and to worry about healing our world, global warming, etc. Now the existence of mink farms in Denmark and Ireland is surfacing, uh, attached to the COVID-19 infection like a huge reminder. Don't we humans get it? Greetings. And that comes in from uh, Steph and Steph is right. There was legislation back last last year. The government last year promised to legislate legislate for the phasing out of mink farms. But the problem, Steph, is the drafting of the bill has only recently begun. So until that bill is fully drafted, people who own mink farms in this country are allowed to continue. There were three mink farms. There's one in Leash, one in Kerry and one in Donegal. Now, we have seemingly back in the 60s, there was dozens of mink farms. But as I say, we're down now to only three. And just over 100,000 mink pellets are produced in this country. But around the world, 44 million are produced mainly in uh, Europe. It's a huge amount. I thought, when I saw it as well, I thought mink farms and that wearing of mink coats was gone completely. Now, I need to look into it more because I heard it's got something to do with fake eyelashes are made, but they can't all be produced just for fake eyelashes. There still has to be people wearing mink coats, which is just incredible to believe. And scientists believe the original virus the coronavirus was was a worker went in to a mink farm in Denmark or a few workers must have gone into various mink farms in Denmark had coronavirus didn't realize they had it they then passed it on to the mink and it's then believed that the minks spread it easily amongst the other minks in the farm because bless these little creatures they are close they live in closely packed cages in sheds obviously ventilation everything we're told to stop the spread wouldn't be ideal in these closely packed cages in uh, sheds and the sheds seemingly can contain tens of thousands of these animals all packed in together and then of course it hopped from one mink to the other mink to the other mink then they mutated somewhere along the line and then it went back into uh, humans so yes it is very much raising the whole ugly nature I think of fur farming but um, Steph is right the government did pass uh, a bill saying that they were going to get rid of mink farming but the drafting of the bill has only begun recently whether it will be speeded up now and whether this because of what's happening with COVID-19 and because of the culling of the mink in Denmark could this be the beginning of the end of mink farming 
I think a lot of people certainly would, I would be one advocating for, I'd like to see, the, I would like this to be the beginning of the end and that there n- never be any more mink farming going on. 1850 some more your texts coming in. Hi, I'm from West Cork. If I go back to work in December, and please God you will be able to go back to work in December, and I stop the COVID-19 payment, what if I'm out of work again in January uh, due to cases going up? Can I reapply for the COVID payment? Well, that's certainly what happened this time round. People who were out of work during the first lockdown who then went back to work during the summer months when the country reopened and then for many of them I mean everybody in retail people in pubs people in restaurants and they ended up out of work again and they went straight back on to the COVID-19 payment so yes I would say if because certainly the COVID-19 payment is remains in place at the moment until April and obviously it'll be reviewed again and if God forbid we got a third wave and we had to, had to do lockdown again yes that COVID-19 payment uh, would in my opinion certainly kick back in again and John John from Ireland. <laughs> That's how John signs his uh, Texas petition. Did anybody see the programme about John Delaney last night on the TV? I must say, haven't we a very nice shower of people on huge pay running these organisations? It's all about rob what you can and who you can and then stand down and everything will be brushed under the carpet. Isn't it typical Irish people? Rob all you can and then and, and ask the questions or answer the questions afterwards, says John. I haven't seen it. I saw the original Virgin Media one and John Paul, no, I haven't seen the RT one. I've recorded it. I hope to see it later on uh, today. John Paul tells me it was very similar to the Virgin Media one, which was based on the, the book. That was jaw-dropping, so I'm assuming it's similar to that. But it, yeah, it's 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 a jaw-dropping story uh, for sure. Uh, it really is. 1850-333-103. Some of our calls coming into the programme. Ronnie in Mallow has been on to say, does anybody know where Ronnie can buy the Happy Christmas from Mallow Christmas cards? She said with so many shops closed at the moment due to restrictions, she's wondering where she can get her hands on them. She's currently writing her Christmas cards at the moment. Well done, Ronnie. You're getting very organised, I have to say. I did some myself last night. I'm just going to be super organised uh, this year. Anyway, has anybody spotted Happy Christmas from Mallow you know, those Christmas cards. Has anybody spotted those? If so, can you let us know, please? 1850-333-103. A reminder to you, and I know somebody called in on one of these as well. We are looking to give a little bit of publicity to anybody out there who's involved with charity calendars this year. If you have a charity calendar, can you let us know? Ideally, if you can send us in one of the calendars so that we can actually have it in our hand and describe to people what it actually looks like, that would be terrific. If not, get in as much detail as you can to us so that we can let listeners know where charity calendars are on sale. I'm very conscious and very aware that this year, charity groups the length and breadth of the country really suffered with donations. They weren't able to fundraise the way we normally fundraise in this country. But one opportunity might be the selling of calendars. We all need to have calendars in our ha- in our house. And it's a little bit like when you're buying Christmas cards. Try to do your bit to buy as many charity Christmas cards as you can. But when you're going to buy your calendar, try and buy a a calendar that's going to put some money back into your local community so if we all sort of we're all on the shop local bit but buy a local calendar as well and if it's a charity connection to it all the better so we're looking for people if you want to send us in your calendars please do and the idea will be between now and 
between now and Christmas we'll try and mention as many of the calendars as we can and where they're on sale and how much they are and we'll try and give detail and describe how beautiful some of these calendars are. You can send them in to us here at C103 Goulds Hill in uh, Mallow. I've already had a call in from the Bantry Active Retirement Camera Club. Now I imagine if they were a camera club that their calendar must be quite stunning. Don't know what it looks like because I've only had a call about it. They have a calendar for Cancer Connect, wonderful charity. It's called Bantry and Beyond and it's going to be their 17th calendar and it will be available in local shops and they're pricing it at €10. And if it's Bantry and Beyond, I imagine lovely scenes around Bantry and they make for lovely Christmas presents as well to buy them and send them abroad. I mean, if you're from, for example, there, that example in Bantry, if you're from Bantry and you're living in Australia or you're living in any part of the UK or you're in America or anywhere across Europe, won't it be lovely throughout the next 12 months to turn the calendar every month and to see a scene from home? It's a lovely, lovely thing to give as a gift. And thank you to Dee, who sent me in great detail of their calendar. And this is from Skull Fiachna National School. It's the National School in Glengariff to say, we are selling calendars for our kids' school. We're hoping they sell well this year, especially because we weren't able to hold any of our usual school fundraisers. The school is Skull Fiachna National School in Glengariff. They are on sale now in local shops in Glengariff and also at Fastnet in Bantry. The calendar is named Visit Glengariff and it's filled with lots of activities to do in Glengariff. They're on sale €10 each. Can also be posted anywhere in Ireland for two euro and anywhere in the world for four euro fifty. Also, they also that they will post also also that they would like them post. Anyone who would like them posted, my apologies, uh, can contact D on D go goy. D-E-E-G-O-Y 10 at yahoo.co.uk and uh, Dee has sent me on I've got she's just sent me on pictures of it it looks stunning photographs in and around beautiful Glengarve there's pictures of Garnish Island Garnish Island uh, ferries the Blue Pool ferries the Bantry Bay Charters the Bamboo Park, the U experience and on and on and go. So that's in Glengarve. As I say, get details in or ideally send us in a copy of your calendar to Patricia Messenger, C103 Goulds Hill in Mallow. As I say, we will do our very best between now and Christmas to give as much publicity as we can because we like to try and raise a few bob for people in the run-up to Christmas. John Paul has taken your calls at 1850-333-103. Now, to mark World COPD Day later this month, a virtual wellness conference entitled Living Well with COPD in a COVID World will be held. To chat to us this morning on how people with COPD can live well at the moment, I'm joined by Dr Des Murphy, who is Consultant Respiratory Physician here in Cork. Good morning to you, Des. Good morning. Uh, Hi, how are you? I'm very well. You're welcome. I suppose we're Remind us first what COPD is and how common is it in this country? COPD is a shortened version of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and I suppose people would know it more commonly as chronic bronchitis or emphysema and it's an umbrella term really for both of them uh, because often people will have a a, a bit of both. Um, So it's the term that we we more commonly use in clinical practice. and it's very common in Ireland. The estimates are that there's uh, somewhere between 200 and 500,000 people with COPD living in Ireland. Wow. And how serious would it be for somebody with COPD to contract COVID-19? Well, 
obviously that depends on the on on the under how how severe their underlying COPD is. That COPD range from uh, mild, moderate, severe to very severe, and clearly the more the more severe the underlying lung disease, the the more significant the impact of COVID would potentially have on 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 that person. But but unfortunately, chronic chronic respiratory disease, including COPD, has been listed in one of the risk factors for uh, developing you know bad outcomes from COVID. So what, so somebody living with COPD, especially now that we're into the winter months, what can they do to protect themselves? Well, the most important, there's a couple of really important things. The, f- the first is that they need to take their medications as prescribed, and uh, that would usually be the form of inhalers, um, and they should take those as needed. They should try and exercise. I mean, we, we, we organise um, pulmonary rehabilitation programmes for patients with COPD, and it's probably the most cost-effective and probably the, one of the most effective uh, means f- of pe- for people with COPD to keep well. So within your five kilometres at the moment, you should be trying to actively keep keep yourself going and moving and doing exercise. And uh, you should also get, without any question, should get the flu vaccine. Um, and that's, that's recommended even outside of COVID. And it's even more important, I think, this year. And um, you, you, if you need... Uh, help though you need to go and get it so you shouldn't hesitate to contact your GP COPD support Ireland for example have an, ex- uh, an excellent helpline or or if you're more severe disease and you're under the care of the hospital uh, some, someone within that group um, the, 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 as, as you're aware uh, people are extremely anxious about COVID yeah. but we can reassure them that we're, we're doing our best to take every precaution and that over time we've become more and more set up within the hospitals you know dealing with outpatients and uh, in, in a safe uh, manner I know in, in, in CUH here we actually I run my, my clinic off-site in the old St. Catharines at the back of the hospital Yeah because only yesterday we had a listener who needs to go for an x-ray and was very nervous about going for the x-ray and when after I called it out the amount of people who contacted us to say they've been to the hospital in recent weeks for various outpatients appointments and everybody saying how safe they felt in all of the hospital settings reassuring to know because I mean we are doing our, our absolute utmost to try yeah. and, to try and come across that way and, 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 and to do everything we possibly can to minimise the risk to the patient well and obviously to staff you know. Well done and as for people living with COPD do they find wearing face masks much more difficult than the general population? A lot of them do they find it very uncomfortable as you can imagine if someone is it does find it hard to breathe and you and you do and you put a, a mask over their face it is it is quite uncomfortable for them and uh, unfortunately it's something that they they have to do as much as possible but I think people need to be aware that some some people who aren't wearing masks that, and one of the reasons that we all wear masks is to protect protect them that some people just just can't wear them but we'd encourage if at all possible that they'd wear masks okay and all of the other rules around the hand washing and, and keeping away from crowded environments absolutely um, and particularly while we're under level five restrictions that they're one of the group who were originally particularly the, again at the severe end of the spectrum who should have been cocooning a lot of the patients are over 70 as well um, but the, but on the flip side, they do need to try and keep themselves active um, for as well as for their mental health as, as as well as everything else. Yeah, you don't want them staying indoors. Absolutely, yeah, and yeah. we don't want them being afraid to to, to contact us if they are in trouble. Um, that there, there there is plenty of help there, as I was saying, and we we have got better. Um, over the last few months, at at, at trying to ensure that that any risk is minimised. Did I read somewhere that singing 
is good to, for lung health. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, it is. It's very good. It, it obviously exercises your vocal cords, your your yeah. lungs themselves, and the respiratory muscles. So. I can't say I have a, a great voice myself. It's not, <laughs> it's not something that I'd be much use at, but it, but but it is. And actually, one of the topics that will be discussed at the web the, the webinar on on uh, on the twenty first is is around um, singing. So don't give out to anybody singing in the shower. You can say you're doing your lung pr- your lung health practice. Absolutely. Okay. And so, would you encourage um, Des? Would you encourage people to sign up for this? Um, for, it's a virtual wellness conference. It is. It's a virtual wellness. Um, it, it, there's there's a range of speakers, and it'll deal with. I'll be sp- speaking about the National Clinical Programme, which is something for all of us, which the HSC is uh, as part of the HSC remit, and it's specifically for people with COPD. So if people are wondering what we're trying to do for them within the HSC, um, I'll be there to inform that. There's other guys on about how to uh, winter during, during the pandemic, how to manage your COPD during COVID-19, and also just general things like getting a better night's sleep for people with COPD. So Some people with COPD will suffer from sleep disturbance. Um uh, a topic from uh, Brendan Kelly, a psychiatrist, who will be speaking about um, your mental health during the pan- COVID pandemic and, and for COPD. And also, as I said, um, uh, there'll be uh, two ladies on speaking about um, uh, singing for uh, lung well health. Done. Well done. And it's uh, www.copd.ie and you can people can register for free. And it's Saturday, November 21st, between 1 and uh, 4. We wish you luck with it, Des. And thank you for taking time out Thanks to talk Thanks very much. I appreciate it. No problem. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, uh, Dr. Des Murphy, who is Consultant Respiratory Physician at uh, CUH on that uh, COPD virtual conference. That's the way it is going, folks. Uh, Mallow Christmas cards. When Ronnie was looking for she's writing her Christmas cards and she's looking for, you know, those, Happy Christmas from Mallow Cards. Nancy was on to say the two euro shop at the plaza in Mallow is selling the Christmas cards with a Mallow greeting on it. And uh, Mary was on to say she has seen the Happy Christmas from Mallow Christmas cards on sale at the post office at Danos. That's the Ballydeheen, the sub post office at, at Danos. So they're selling them there as well. So two places for Ronnie to go and get her Christmas cards. John uh, Hannon, who's spoken to us on so many occasions. We must check in with John actually to see how he's getting on. Um, we I'd never heard of Alpha One until John Hannon got diagnosed with it and then started a great campaign to, to get let people know about it. It was a, It's a genetic form of emphysema. So I suppose it probably would come in under the whole umbrella of a COPD because to hear Des break it down as to what COPD is and, and like he mentioned emphysema. So I, I suppose, yes, it probably would come in under the umbrella uh, of it. Thank you for your text. And just on COPD, a cork listener says, Patricia, a person living with COPD it is just terrible looking at them. My mother died from uh, COPD years ago. But let you let me warn you, people, that if if it should be you, people should be very careful. My sister ended up in hospital in early March as she got a fall and needed care, and she ended up getting COVID while in hospital and was there for almost uh, five uh, weeks. Uh, so people have to be so so uh, careful. Says a Cork listener who knows, but who very much from the text knows what it's like to live with somebody to look after somebody who is uh, COPD so it is so important for 
people with COPD to stay well and to particularly stay well during this pandemic. Now to find out how the Irish Guide Dogs Association have been getting on since the pandemic arrived in our shores, I'm joined by Tim O'Mahony who is the General Manager. Good morning to you Tim. How are you doing? Uh, and you're, you're welcome. Has it been a, a year like no other at the Guide Dogs Association? Oh yeah for sure Patricia. I mean I think it's it stopped us in a our tracks in March and the, all the fundraising activities that we would normally run through throughout the year. And the charity costs £5 million to run each year and 85% of that would come from public interactions and they've effectively stopped from the start of March. So our main events throughout the year would have, would have been curtailed, such as the Cork Summer Show, the Bloom in the Phoenix Park, the RDS and other other events, the Camino Walk and a Mizzen to Malin cycle. And the actual then physical running of the uh, centre, Tim, I mean, uh, did you close down during the first lockdown? We, we effectively put all our dogs out into temporary homes okay. uh, the 17th of March or the 16th of March and they stayed out there until the, um, the 18th of May and then when we came back to the centre we started to train those dogs remotely from the temp homes and so we've our technical team have basically changed the process significantly as to how we train our dogs working with our temp homes to ensure that we've delivered to our clients throughout the summer and into for the rest of the year so you what you did puppy training online almost yeah for the the puppy raising support we did we 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 start to utilize technology and virtual training classes so i mean i i think it, there's some benefits to it because when you when you standardize and when you can capture really good examples of of training you can share that effectively and you can reshare it and yeah. people can access this 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 example time and again to support the training of our dogs. So I mean, with COVID nineteen, we were restricted from meeting people. So we we had to adjust our process to support our volunteers and our pups. But there would have to be one on one training at some point. I mean, particularly for example, when the dog is assigned to its owner. Oh, totally, totally. And that we our centre we had didn't have any um, we didn't have any training at HQ for our guide dog clients since March. Okay. And we had two assistance dog classes there, one in August and one in September. But the the main number of trainings this year have taken place on a domiciliary basis where we've gone to the clients with our dogs and trained them at either their home or at a hotel close to them. But did I read that you trained, the same number of people were trained this year as last year with regard to assistance and guide dogs? Yes, yes. No, That's an amazing achievement. Yeah, no, we're very proud of it. And I think the staff, the volunteers and everyone can rightly be very proud of that achievement because and that's we've been a number of years focusing on the process of training of our dogs and I think it's a culmination this year of the focus on supporting the independence and mobility for our clients that has allowed the team to deliver in in such extraordinary credible it's just credit due to each each and every one of you because the handing over of that dog and that dog going to live with somebody is just the the impact that that dog makes on a person's life. Totally, totally. All our, our our services are about delivering independence and mobility to vision impaired clients and families of children with autism. We we opened our assistance dog list in September and we had two hundred people apply. Wow. And we we had we seventy people waiting for that service. We had 
hope to put out 35 guide dogs next year and hopefully 45 assistance dogs. So we're, we're focusing on delivering for our clients and so there's a conscious effort. Did you have to pause breeding this year? Um, breeding was impacted because I, 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 we, we've been reliant on some private breeders and, and I suppose that would, because of COVID-19, Kennel Club saying, you know, it's and the restriction on movement, it makes it more difficult. So that meant there was um, a lesser number of pups available. Okay, okay. And do you, are you always looking for families interested in, in puppy fostering and puppy raising? Yes. No, we, we, we are, because they play a critical role. And we found, like some of the stuff we found out since COVID-19 is that having our dogs in Tim homes is a very positive impact on their training because they're less, they're more relaxed when they come in for their training or their, their work day and they go back home to the, a normal environment in the evenings because that's ultimately where they will be yeah. when they go to our clients. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, through strong relationships and support for our temp homes, we, we're better able to support the training. It, it, it's a long-term relationship and you you're benefit then because on successive dogs, that volunteer can add value and support the technical training effort. Yeah, those, those volunteers really are incredible. And I'm assuming the dogs had to get used to PPE gear and people wearing face masks. Yeah, no, I, 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 that, has, that has caused its own challenges because the, the facial and the body expressions, I know that our dogs would watch those as cues. And yeah. so all of a sudden that's masked, they're covered. Um, and it's, it, it's brought its own challenges, but, but I, the reality of it is that this is the environment that those dogs are being trained in now and they have to adjust to what our clients will face when they're in the field supporting our clients. Yeah, and I know in the very early stages um, with social distancing, guide dogs, of course, are not trained to social distance. And we were offering advice to people, you know, if you see somebody who's visually impaired with their guide dog, it's up to sighted people to do the social distancing on behalf of the visually impaired person. Well, totally. I mean, it's been a challenge for our clients, as you know, because of the, the restrictions. But our dogs and then, sorry, the public transport, the changes to public transport where... Yeah. Dogs won't recognise to keep seats spare. Even streets have changed and the, the layout of streets because of having increased distances between tables and that for, for various different outlets. So that's an impact on, on how our clients are travelling and being able to move around. So it's challenging. It's been challenging. And shop layouts have all gone to a, one, a one-way system and that too has caused its own challenges. Okay, and uh, the you mentioned at the very start fundraising five five million is what it costs. Eighty five percent comes in through charity through fundraising. What are you going to do? How how have you managed this year? We've I suppose we've we've a number of streams of income, whereas our community fundraising has been drastically impacted. Where we we would normally get forty percent, but we'd be lucky this year to if it would be twenty percent of those costs. But some our direct marketing campaigns have gone quite well for us because Good. people have supported the charity and the brand. And equally, legacy income bequests where people have left us a will in their a will have increased and been up on previous years. So I think in the long run, we're, we've had to adjust even how we, we re-raise our income. But we would hope that COVID-19 wouldn't be around for too long into the future. So we... 
our branches and that network can go back out fundraising and do what they do very well for us. And I've been, we've started a little promotion here ourselves on the radio, encouraging anyone who's involved with charity calendars to let us know so that we can promote them and let people know where charity calendars are on sale. The guy, are you doing a calendar? You always do gorgeous calendars. Yeah, we have a, we have a fantastic calendar t- featuring pictures of our dog. Have you? And we've, our other main event between this and Christmas will be our car raffle for a 2021 Ford Focus. So okay. Full details are on guidedogs.ie. We've also other attractive items on our Christmas shop, such as the cards and baubles. So okay, people can, people can, uh, can support you that way, uh, for sure, in the run-up to Christmas. Listen, good luck uh, with that, uh, Tim, and continue good luck. You do amazing work on the, on the Model Farm uh, road, and it's so, much, it's so appreciated by so many people. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. No bother at all. Thank uh, you. Stay Patricia. safe. Bye bye. bye. That bye. is uh, Tim O'Mahony, General Manager with the Irish Guide Dogs uh, Association. Keep them in mind uh, for charity ca- Christmas uh, charity calendars, and they do the lovely Christmas cards as well. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie are both taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. During the last lockdown, I still had some great friends coming into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need good company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we'll still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance, people are keeping C103 really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, JLR, Ipsos, MRBI 2023. I'd be lost in the morning without Simon. Yeah, Patricia keeps me up to date with everything Cork. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to C103. Hashtag choose radio. Oh, this delivery guy looks nice. Hi. How's it going? Package there for you. <laughs> Cheers. All right, thanks, thanks for that. <sighs> he has my number. Maybe he'll text. Finding someone can be difficult. C103 Dating can deliver by matching you with someone that suits. Our listeners are genuine people who just want to meet someone nice. Going on dates is harder now, but you can still connect and get to know each other. Register for free today at c103dating.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed calls and comments coming in. Leo in Douglas was on and this is with regard to the Supreme Court Judge Seamus Wolfe. Leo says, the common thing is when somebody makes a mistake now in high society, the common thing appears to be they say sorry and then that's it. It seems to work. So if Seamus Wolfe, Judge Seamus Wolfe simply says sorry, does that mean he's going to be left off the hook? This is a story Leo, can I say, that certainly isn't going away and there's an added dimension to it today because the Attorney General now has been asked to advise the Taoiseach and the government on the controversy 
surrounding the Supreme Court Judge uh, Seamus uh, Wolfe. And of course, Judge Seamus Wolfe was one of the attendees at Golfgate. Remember the, the golf dinner in Galway back in August? This is a story that just is not going away. There was 80 guests at it. And of course, we know that Minister Dara Killeary, the EU Commissioner Phil Hogan, they were all there. They subsequently re- resigned, as did Jerry Buttermer. He stepped down as the Shannon's Las Cohirlock. Uh, opposition colleagues now, or opposition politicians, should I say, are calling for the matter to be addressed by the Arachthus. This is following the release of what was interesting correspondence between the Chief Justice Frank Clark and Justice Wolf, because Frank Clark told him he should resign. Justice Clark said the cumulative effect of the controversy had caused significant and he said irreparable damage to the Supreme Court. He told Justice Wolf that these were matters that affected public trust and his personal view was that Judge Wolf should resign in order to remain public confidence in the court, in the judiciary and in the administration of justice. Justice Wolf said he would accept sanctions proposed by the Chief Justice to that, uh, to the effect that he'd be reprimanded and one of the reprimands was that he wouldn't sit in court until February. He even suggested very kindly that he'd give his salary to charity for that period of a time. But Justice Wolfe said he had come to the conclusion that he should not resign. He said he didn't think any of the reasons put forward constituted grounds for his resignation, let alone judicial misconduct. And he outlined his points of disagreement in what was a nine page uh, letter. So there's a big argument going on there within the judiciary itself. But now the Attorney General is going to take over and we will await and watch with interest what the Attorney General, what would be the Attorney General's advice to the Taoiseach. But I'm assuming, Leo, from your comment, him simply saying sorry is not going to be enough for you. I'm assuming you're one of those in that campaign that would like to see the man resign. 1850 Thank you to Miriam who contacted us this morning and this is certainly worth mentioning. And just for people to be a little bit thoughtful and for all of us to be kind to other people and just to be careful about other people when we're out and about. Miriam wants people to be more mindful of the elderly and elderly people when they're out for their walks. Miriam's mother was out yesterday for her exercise and well done to Miriam's mother for getting out for her exercise. Now, Miriam's mum said that she passed a group of teenagers. They straight away moved off the footpath when they saw this elderly lady walking on her own. But her mother said as she was walking along, a man who her mother reckons was probably in around his 40s and should have more sense, stayed on the footpath and ended up passing very close to Miriam's mother. And now Miriam says her mother is petrified that what if that man had the virus and I was in such close contact with him and the poor woman is living in fear as it is. And it's so important that Miriam's mother gets out for her walk every day. And Miriam, I know you're probably doing your absolute best to convince your mother that she's fine and wouldn't wouldn't have picked up the coronavirus by being in such close contact for such a small period of time. But yes, there's such nervousness out there at the moment. So can everyone just be, and Miriam uses the word mindful, particularly of older people, because they can be very nervous about about being out and about. And when you, you can see them in supermarkets as well, you can see they're constantly watching to make sure that nobody's close by them or on top of them. Just that we, we all have to give each other space at the moment. 
the two metre social distancing is in there for a reason. So just for everybody to give each other a little bit of space, but be particularly mindful about older people. And thank you, Miriam, for sending that in to us uh, this morning. We were talking about obesity and we were talking about that report that's come out, really good report that's come out from UCC, talking about various things that we can do to try to help young people so that they don't end up with obesity problems as young people and then go on to be obese in adulthood. And one of the things that's been suggested by this report is this no-fry zone. And the idea is that no takeaway fast food joint would be allowed within a certain distance of primary and secondary schools. And I think it is more than Dr Janice, I think, made the point as well. It's more of a secondary school issue than a primary school issue. And if you're anywhere near a takeaway that's in close confines to a secondary school, go down there at lunchtime and see the large number who are in and out, young people getting their burgers and their chips and and whatever else you're having uh, yourself. Marion says, if they're talking about that with fast food places. She says, what about shops that sell, you know, like the the chicken rolls and the breakfast rolls and that some of that can be kind of rubbishy food as well. Does that not also need to be looked at when we're looking at takeaways? Should it all be included? And I imagine if the powers that be ever take on board this report from UCC, Marion, I imagine exactly what you're describing will be looked at as well. Because the whole idea of the report is to have healthy food options available and to get young people into the mindset of eating healthy. And if they do that when they are young young people, the idea is that they'll carry it through into adulthood. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's like the delis that you're talking about. I'm assuming that they would fall in under the fast food uh, takeaway as well. And let me say, thank you for that. Marion, let me stay on the topic of schools because Anne has emailed Patricia at c103.ie and this is to do with school uniforms and young people in school and, you know, the majority of schools have a policy that young people have to wear their school uniforms all the time. Anne has nephews who are attending school. Now, it isn't here in Cork, it's in another county, it's in another part of the country. But she's obviously been talking to either her sister or her brother, the mother or the father of her nephews who've been saying that in this particular school up the country there's no flexibility around the wearing of the uniforms and as with a lot of other schools they're leaving windows open and we've been told and schools have been told to do that to try to improve the ventilation if you've got a group of can be up to 30 and more in some classes of young people all sitting in a classroom if you ventilate the classroom and if because if God forbid there's somebody in there who has COVID-19 that doesn't realise they have it if the classroom is well ventilated have doors windows open it lessens the chance of other people picking up the coronavirus so there's ventilation going on in this particular school but on some days and we, we've had a very mild this week but there's been days like last week was there was a few days it was bitterly cold this particular school they're allowing no flexibility around what else the young people can wear in the classroom. For example, some of the young people want to leave a hoodie or a jacket on in the classroom and then being told, no, the uniform is the uniform, which is whatever it is for boys, you know, the shirt, the jumper, the tie, the trousers, whatever it is. And that's it. They're not allowed to put a hoodie on. They're not allowed to leave a, a jacket on. And Anne, as she said, it's happening in different parts of the country. It's not happening in Cork. But she's wondering, she obviously doesn't have young people herself going to school. She's wondering around the flexibility in schools here in Cork. If you have young people in school and if they are leaving the windows open for the ventilation, which is a good move, but are the schools, if the classroom is cold, are, and some people will feel the cold more than others. And if 
people are feeling the cold, are they allowed to leave their jackets or a hoodie on or whatever they want to leave on to keep themselves warm? Because it would be very hard if you're in a classroom for what, what's the standard class, 40 minutes and if you, you have a double class, you've been there for an hour and 20. And if it is very cold, it's very hard to concentrate if you're feeling cold. As I say, some people will feel the cold more than others. But I'd be interested to hear what is the flexibility in schools here in Cork. I, I mean, I would assume most of the principals and the teachers here are being very flexible around that. And if somebody says, you know, sir, miss, I'm feeling cold, can I leave my jacket on? And here's somebody else looking for advice. Hi, Trish. I'm just wondering, I have, have a family member that passed away in February of this year. Sorry to hear that. Uh, is it still a thing? that you don't put up a Christmas tree or decorations or any decorations in the house for the first year following a bereavement. Um, I, I would say you do what suits you. It's interesting because we have Joe Heffernan joining us later on in this hour and always coming up to Christmas. We always do every year. We do a piece with Joe about bereavement and the do's and the don'ts around Christmas. And one of the things, Joe, there's no right or no wrong way to do grief or to do bereavement. And it's an individual thing. If you feel uncomfortable about the idea of having a Christmas tree and having all the baubles and all the lights and all the singing Santas, if that makes you feel uncomfortable because you're thinking of your loved one that's passed away this year, then I would say no, don't put up your your Christmas tree. But if you've got children in the house and you have to make the Christmas as normal as possible for them, then I would say decorate the house, put up all the lights that you want to put up. It really is an individual thing to you and from my own tradition I know the year my mother died would be probably the closest person I've lost and it's a good number of years now in in our household the tradition with us was you didn't send Christmas cards the first year that you lost a very close family member but certainly we put up the Christmas tree and the, and the decorations but that's just that's something that we did but I imagine it probably differs between families, it differs between regions and areas. But as I say, my advice would be it's whatever makes you feel comfortable about Christmas this year. First Christmas without a loved one is always hard. And I'm not saying that the second year is going to be any easier. For some, it can be as more difficult than the first. But do whatever you feel comfortable with. If you don't want to put up the tree, then don't put it up. But if you do want to put it up, then don't have any guilty conscience at all around putting it up do what makes you and your family uh, feel happy and we'll give it out to see what other listeners feel the first year with a bereavement the first Christmas without a loved one is there traditions somewhere that you don't put up any Christmas tree or any decorations if you have any advice for this listener please share it with us 1850 and staying on Christmas Sheila in Kenturk says my usual annual question to you Patricia is the Christmas cactus still alive I've been following it since the beginning and I'm assuming these are the two Christmas cactus cacti that we have here in the canteen upstairs. You know, I saw your text come in just there uh, before news at 11 and, and I was, or before news at 12 and I was up making my cup of coffee at 12 o'clock and I was looking at the, when I was watching the kettle boil, I took a quick look at the two Christmas cacti. There, I'm a bit worried about them this year. There's buds starting to appear. There's one very biggish one on the white Christmas cactus and there's also one on, you know, that gorgeous pink one, that cerise pink one. But there isn't, I'm looking around, there isn't as many buds and I'm comparing it to a Christmas cactus that I have at home that is going to be 
glorious this year. It won't be glorious for Christmas. It'll be glorious in the next possibly week to 10 days because it is laden down with buds this year. And I'm comparing that to the ones here in the studio. Maybe the ones in the studio are just later flowers than the one I have at home. But the one I have at home just fills my heart with joy when I look at it every day and I can't wait for the big flowers to open up and it's one of you know the lighter pink ones it isn't the deep cerise pink it's one of the lighter uh, pink ones and actually it was a friend of mine who sadly is no longer with us who gave it to me uh, a number of years ago and every Christmas and and I I will think every time that Christmas cactus flowers I think of her and that's why I think the giving the gift a living gift to somebody it's like planting a tree for somebody there's something glorious about it in the years after when you're thinking about that person and when you see that plant or you see that tree and you think of the person and it just, you can smile about it uh, even though your heart is still broken because uh, that person is no longer with you. But uh, yeah, anyway, sorry I digress. So Sheila, I'll keep you updated but as I say, at the moment I'm a little just a little bit worried but maybe it's just a late flowering one because some of them flower earlier than others uh, but thank you for your text uh, give, send me a reminder again maybe in another month uh, Sheila and I'll, I'll do another update on the Christmas cactus from the C103 canteen and Mike and Bantry when we were talking about calendars and if anybody's involved with charity calendars and you want to send one into us here please do the idea is that we'll promote as best we can and let people know where the charity calendars are on sale it's just our way of helping out local charities who haven't been able to fundraise this year uh, Mike has been on to say that every year he, he gets a bird watch calendar and that's a, that's a great organisation uh, as well and I imagine it's full of beautiful birds uh, Mike thank you for your text to 0862103103 and thank you to Joe uh, Cadwell in Dunmanway who normally at this time of the year Joe would be joining me on the programme and we'd be getting all excited and she'd be telling me all the plans that are in place for the Dunmanway Community Christmas Dinner that they've been running for the last number of years and it's just one of those great initiatives whereby people who would normally be on their own for Christmas in Dunman where they started this a couple of years ago they bring them all together and they all celebrate Christmas dinner together and they were d- bringing Christmas dinners as well I think out to people's houses who couldn't get in wonderful wonderful initiative and unfortunately they've done absolutely everything that they can to try to have the Dunmanway Community Christmas Dinner this year but they finally had to say no, it's not going to go ahead. They're not going to be able to run it safely with all of the guidelines that are in place for COVID-19. It simply would not be possible. It's such a successful event. They would just literally have too many people wouldn't be able to space everybody out and the cooking of it and all of that. So they've had to make the decision in plenty of time I suppose. So in the hope I suppose that people who would have been going to the Dynamic Community Christmas Dinner Maybe somebody locally might be able to jump in and maybe you might be able to invite somebody to your Christmas table, socially distance somebody, maybe be able to drop a dinner off. But they, Joe says she's done her best to contact as many people as possible to let them know that it isn't running this year. But she's asked me to give it a mention just in case there's somebody that they've missed out, some, of, some attendee who they haven't been able to contact. They think they've got through to everyone, but just to let people know that unfortunately the Dunmanway Community Christmas Dinner for 2020 will not go ahead due to COVID-19 but they have assured us they'll be back bigger and better next year. Thanks Joe for your email to Patricia at c103.ie The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council 
supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And Can Talk, the support group for adults affected by cancer in any way, they're continuing online with their support group meetings. And tonight's meeting is at half past uh, seven. Um, attendance is free of uh, charge and uh, it's a different group meet every month. And uh, today, tonight's one is Cancer Care. It's the Cancer Care Community Group. You get more details by going to their brochure online at www.cantalk.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they will have their weekly lotto draw this Thursday, 4 o'clock in the local community office. And this week's jackpot, €1,100. Tickets are on sale locally. And Cove, GAA, are continuing their online Zoom bingo. They're on Sunday nights so next Sunday at 8. You can check out their Facebook page for further details or check out the Cork Diary section of the C103 website. With Level 5 restrictions now in place, it's more important than ever to keep it local. That's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally. Whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect. A thriving local economy is good for everyone. You'll save time and support local jobs. You can make it better. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Holly, if you can make it better. Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. Thank you, Fran, who sent me in a WhatsApp picture of his Christmas cactus and I am beyond jealous. It is just glorious and it's one of the ones with the really deep cerise flowers on it. It is stunning. Long may it last. Uh, somebody says, Patricia, where can we get the, where can I get the bird calendar that uh, Joe says he gets every year? It's Birdwatch. So birdwatchireland.ie. Uh, if you go on their uh, website, you should be able to get it there. On schools not allowing some students to wear coats and jackets and hoodies, particularly the classrooms that are doing the ventilation and even the windows open. Somebody said, What's the idea of having windows in classrooms open? It's crazy having them open at this time of year. What do others think? It's to do with ventilation. It's been proven that the more ventilated the room is, the less of the chance you have of picking up COVID-19. So that's what it's all uh, about. Mary says, my children are only allowed to wear their coats if they have one of the crested school coats which I think is very unfair. Not everyone can afford one of those school jackets. Oh, that seems a bit mean on behalf of the school, does it not? Uh, John and Cove says, previous to the pandemic, it would have been illegal to go into a bank, a post office or a credit union wearing a mask or a helmet. These days, we're encouraged to wear a mask. So when it suits them, they can change the rule. My point is, if, you, if schools are being forced to leave windows open in classrooms to leave air in, then there should be no problem with the students being allowed to put on hoodies or extra jumpers or anything to keep warm. They can change the laws when they want it to suit them. It should be allowed in classrooms as well. And then on bereavement and what do you do about bereavement and the putting up of the Christmas tree, etc. Somebody makes a good point. If the deceased person loved Christmas, then by all accounts, you should put up the tree and all of the decorations and do it in the memory of the loved one who passed away. And somebody else said, I had the past two years deaths in the family in November. Oh, that's very close to Christmas. I wasn't going to put up any decorations, so I just put up the tree and a few little bits uh, inside, a little bit of holly 
maybe but I didn't send any cards yeah I, I certainly would go with that tradition that on the year of the first you can receive my mother used to say you could receive cards but don't send them but I don't know again is that just a tradition that was going on in my household and Mary the a lady's reacting to Mariam who contacted us was a Marion or Miriam who contacted us about her mum who was out yesterday for the walk and that you know it was Miriam and a group of teenagers got off the footpath and left the mother walk and that was great but then a man she reckoned in a room around his 40s came very close to her and Miriam's mother came home very upset by it all and terrified now that she's picked up coronavirus because this man came so close to her and Miriam was saying can people just be mindful of others and just be aware of others and give people their their space and the two metres etc. This came in from somebody that signs themselves are uh, thank you listening to the call that came in from Miriam. Well, I'm a 62-year-old and I always distance from others, be they old or young. But some people are just still not compliant. They may think, I'm sure I can't get the virus, I'll be fine. It's not possible to help other people in the shops with their shopping anymore if they're struggling with their bags, etc. because you don't want to get too close. There was two young lads buying items the other day. No masks and people at the queue at the checkout let them go first although they had already jumped the the queue anyway and nobody was saying anything uh, to them. Miriam is right you need to be wary of everyone thanking you says R says somebody just signs them says R and you're right on that about not helping somebody I saw somebody the other day in a supermarket drop something and I, my instinct was to go and help them pick pick them up and then I said oh I better not in case that person might be nervous about me coming too close to them so it's a really awkward one at the moment it really, and our nature is to straight away go and help somebody out but you are you are very cautious about it and Tim and you all this is on the John Delaney programme that was on RT last night that I say I haven't seen yet but I am looking forward to watching it this afternoon judging by reaction into the programme this morning on it Tim says absolutely disgusted with the FAI having watched that programme on RTE last night and the way they allowed the organisation to be railroaded and financially drained by John Delaney. They were some group of lambs appointed to run the FAI and if that wasn't bad enough we had the likes of Shane Ross as Minister for Sport handing over 30 million to them in the, in the aftermath. It's we, the Irish people, that are the fools. And this was then compounded, now Tim says, by Jackie Healy Ray, the late Lord to Mercy, Michael Healy Ray, I think is who you mean, who, you mean um, who had loads of compliments for John Delaney. It's no wonder the country is the way it is, says Tim Inyall, who was another person who seemed to have hugely enjoyed that programme on RTE last night. Let's take a break and we are back chatting with Joe Heffernan. Egg foil and mock quid then and here is Farlin. Shot eight thrower C103 Air Kirkig. Is Marga Fahey on the English market? Elor Hahar Kirkui. In a will Ramesha Lahan Stali Yakas Shastoin. Lebush Dairy, Bok Hari, Kanahori Aishk, Stali Glossary, Shapui Cafe, a Hodas Clohish, Agas Avadni Smo. Dinkor Olu Hosu the Hodil, Win Sultas and Atmosphere, Nublasana, Agas Blafele, Un Irgniv Shah, a Hen Shirgadin Vlien, Mila Shakyad Sahotau Hot. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Joe Heffernan joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we are continuing today to offer advice to uh, parents whose sons or daughters might be self-harming. And we've already discussed uh, self-harm. I suppose the question... Can can I just say before you do that, congratulations on your 30 years on air. Long time. A long time. (laughs) And I'm glad to say I've been with you a fair bit. You have indeed. You have indeed. This is one of the longest. Actually, I have to say all of the regular contributors have have been here for so many of those years. Right. You know, it's uh, it's great. It's a team effort. I'm always saying it. It's a team effort. But thank you. And also, I'd like to thank um, uh, quite a few people who phoned me saying that um, our talks on uh, trauma and recovery from trauma that they found it extremely helpful. Brilliant. And uh, Brilliant. I was delighted to get those phone calls. And, um, you know, it is tis good to know that we're, we're doing some bit of good. We're making an <laughs> impact. <laughs> yeah. OK, so we want to talk about self-harm. Yeah. And we, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago from the young person's point of view. But for the parents, it just must be dreadful to realise that your children are uh, self-harming. And I suppose the question all parents will ask is, why would my son or daughter be self-harming? Right. And the first thing I'd like to say is that it is treatable. Now, that's very important for them to hear. It is treatable. It's anxiety or depression driven. Why do young people do it? It's uh, far from being a suicide attempt. Uh, It is, uh, uh, we'll call it, an inappropriate way of dealing with, um, with, with feelings that have built up inside and which are... Um, uh, you know, very difficult. Um, uh, Many young people would have said that they were feeling depressed when they come to uh, therapy, Um, uh, that they don't know where to turn for help. They they feel trapped and um, help uh, self-injury in a very uh, peculiar way helps them to feel more in control. So rather than being an attempted suicide, it's actually an attempt to cope with life. And I think possibly one of the reasons people sometimes wrongly associated with that suicide, some young people, when, when they cut themselves, they'll cut almost their wrists and some people might think that that's a suicide attempt and it's not. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that is that is exactly true. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, then, uh, yeah. And um, 
It can be driven by anger or tension that gets um, bottled up inside. Um, and, um, you know, they feel like exploding and self-injury helps to relieve the tension that they feel. It can be feelings of guilt or shame. It might be, it could be as, uh, uh, I won't call it simple, but it could be as um, as ordinary as not doing well in school. It could be as a result of bullying, whether online or wh- wherever. Um, uh, and it's it's hidden. It's very much a hidden problem. Very much hidden. Very much the long sleeves and won't um, tug out, we'll say, for sport. Um, and these would be some of the signs that a parent could look out for. Um, you know, not that we're having any at the moment. Um, uh, uh, sunny days, warm sunny days, and um, uh, long sleeves being worn. Um, which would seem to be completely inappropriate for the weather. You know, that could be a little something to look out for. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, and then it's the shock that the parent gets when, when, when they see it. But the, the, when you discover that your son or daughter is self-harming, I suppose the best piece of advice is don't panic. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. This, as I say now, the the main message that I would like to get out there today would be um, that this is treatable. Um, uh, the 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 lockdown, the COVID the COVID nineteen um, would have increased for sure um, the uh, the level of self harming uh, among um, uh, younger people. We're all feeling the stress. Which great news during the week. Again, um, this is a, a, a wonderful news about the vaccine and 90% efficacy. And, um, you know, uh, I think we've all um, uh, got a lift out of that news. Um, and that will help too, mm. because, uh, as I say, uh, the self-harming is driven by anxiety and our depression. So stay calm and then listen. Listen to what the young person is saying. Listen Listen is the big one. Well, first of all, to recognize that something is wrong. Now, you know, uh, usually a change in behavior, a change in mood with the young person. Um, So to ask them, how, how are you feeling these times? And listening, then, is very important um, uh, to whatever is troubling them and, and, and taking that seriously. I mean, it might be um, uh, a romance uh, that has uh, uh, been uh, not reciprocated. Or, you know, and and um, what's a very, very serious issue for the young person might seem less than a big serious for the 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 parent but to remember that this is a serious issue for the young person and to treat it accordingly and then what is the help what help is available well i suppose um uh, for very young people you'd have the childline helpline 1-800-666-666 you'd have aware 1890-303-302 you'd have teen line for the older um for the teenager one eight hundred eight three three six three four. Would you get the GP involved? 
sorry. Would, would, would you get your GP involved? Most certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, the IACP website, uh, and to click on Find a Counsellor, and you'll probably find somebody within definitely 20, 25 minutes' drive. And, uh, uh, and you are allowed outside your 5K before somebody asks if you're attending something oh, like that, like, like uh, totally. counselling. But the message to get across, because when we do things like this, I'm, I'm always aware there will be somebody listening to us at this exact moment in time who's going through exactly what we're talking about. They have a son or a daughter who's self-harming. They might have only started to realise that it's going on and there is that sense of, of panic. The message is that there's help available and that your young, your 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 child will come out the other side. Absolutely. I I mean I have spoken to many a young person who was self harming, and when they could get at what was, you know, uh, the self harming was like the tip of the iceberg, and when they were able to express their feelings about the thing that was troubling them, um, the self harming stopped. And uh, we won't either forget that number that we often give out. 1-800-111-888. That's still available because I checked it out. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, there is no cause for panic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And a listener actually sent in a text looking for your advice. This is from uh, Mary. Could you ask, Joe, when you feel that you can't breathe and you also feel like you're going to be sick, is that stress? I am going through the menopause at the moment. Could it all be linked? Indeed it could. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a typical um, anxiety symptom. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, on, on the uh, on the Beck um, anxiety inventory, uh, that would be one of the que- one of the symptoms described as to whether a person uh, uh, is suffering from that, either not at all, um, m- m- mildly, moderately, or severely. Is that a panic attack? If it got to the point where a person felt that they couldn't cope, that the feelings, uh, as it were, t- take over where it becomes E over I, emotion over intellect, uh, that would probably qualify indeed as a panic attack. And there is an, in, in, as, I mean, as Mary has said, she's going through the menopause, so she doesn't know whether it's linked to that or not. Yeah. But there certainly is an increase in people suffering from anxiety because of the pandemic. Without a doubt. And people who would never have suffered, if that is a panic attack, people are displaying symptoms and wondering, what is wrong with me? This has never happened to me before. Yes. And it's all to do with the world in which we're living, the crazy world in which we're living in at the moment. Absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, any one of us um, who hasn't felt anxiety and stress during this um, COVID-19 era um, uh, is very, very lucky. Um, And it certainly wouldn't include myself. I have found that, um, you know, I found it stressful. I found it anxiety provoking. Uh, I I can be a bit down, of course. Um, even the thought of you know going to a cinema, getting out, going for a meal now and again, um, all that gone. We're living in a very stressful time. But this too will pass. 
this too will pass and the vaccine will help yeah. it to pass. Yeah, yeah. And we take every little glimmer of <laughs> yeah. good news like that yeah. and uh, we welcome it for sure. OK, yeah. listen, Joe, you have a good week and we'll chat to you again next Tuesday. And the very same. Thanks Thank for joining much. us. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, the wonderful Joe Heffernan. Joe runs a counselling practice in Bohabui and his number is 029 And I've been mentioning I'm celebrating 30 years on air this week. And we have a big programme planned on Friday. Somebody has just sent in, uh, Elma, has just sent in a request to say happy 30th anniversary to my amazing parents, Owen and Eleanor Hearn in Aragon, who are married 30 years ago today. Love and best wishes uh, to you both. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself. Stay safe and uh, keep dry because there is a little bit of rain on the way. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.